Welcome to Arvid and Tyler Catch Up. I'm Arvid. I'm Tyler. Let's catch up. Yes. Arvid, what's up with you, man? Oh, I've been thinking a lot about writing this week. So com coming mm. off of MicroConf, I've been kind of reading a lot. Like, but, but on the trip, I brought one book, which mm -hmm. was Paul Millard's book, mm -hmm. you know, the, the Pathless Path. Mm -hmm. And that book is written so well. It's uh, highly inspirational. Just the idea of the, the concept of the book is really cool. And I've been reading yeah. that and really enjoying it. And at MicroConf, as a speaker, I got one of the 25 copies in, in the whole world of Rob Walling's new book. The, the SAS uh, playbook got that here, which is also really well done. Like it's it's really for, for a self-published book. And those I find inspirational in particular. Like it's it's super high quality. The design is cool. The dust jacket is really nice, well designed. I talked to Rob about this and he spent quite some money on just getting it right, particularly compared to his first book, uh, Starts Small, Stay Small, which has the cover design um, skill level of, uh, I think he admitted that like a 10-year-old because he has no idea what he was doing back then or had no uh -huh. idea. And it looks like just somebody opened a Word document, printed out a page, and that's now the cover. But and no, it's, just, it's a great book. It just looks like uh -huh. it's self-published. This one does not. And I've been inspired to keep writing because as a writer myself, I just want to write cool stuff and seeing books I'm kind of thinking more about writing books. So I was talking to Brennan Dunn, who has a book coming out as well. And he's been sending out, you know, early advanced copies to his friends, which for some reason includes me. And I'm really happy about that. So I got to read his book and that was inspirational. So I chatted with Brennan about like how he got this publishing deal, which he seemed to have gotten for this book. Mm -hmm. Because I've been self-publishing and I've been talking to a lot of people who've been self-publishing in the past, but he found a publisher. And um, I thought, well... My next one is going to be hopefully about building in public, something that uh, besides our project, the, the Com MBA, which is more SaaS focused, building mm -hmm. public is more audience, community building, and just you know, live, live the life that you want to live and build your business and your brand at the same time kind of focused. So I've been thinking, do I need a publisher? Do I want a publisher? Do I want to keep self-publishing? That has worked well for me over the past. Or do I want to see if there is some other way of getting the, the message out there? Because both what you and I have been doing and sharing our thoughts on this podcast and on um, on the, the internet and in, uh, on Twitter and stuff, that is building in public and it has been working pretty well for both of us. So Maybe we should, or I thought we should get this kind of story, and by we, I mean myself, <laughs> mm. out further, right, into the bigger world that is not just indie hackers and not just creators, but somebody else. And for that, a publisher would be cool, but maybe it is just for indie hackers and creators, or they would benefit the most from this. So I should kind of keep it in this community. I've been thinking a lot about this, and honestly, I don't mm. think I have answers. I talked to a couple people. Brennan introduced me to people who work in the publishing industry. And, um, you know, deal with agents and getting book proposals out. And I talked to, to one guy who's been doing book proposals for, like, large publishing deals. And he kind of tried to steer me away from mm. thinking about publishing itself as a necessary, like, evil or a necessary way of getting the book out there. Between self-publishing and regular old traditional publishing, there seem to be ways to do hybrid publishing, where essentially you pay people to be your editors instead of having the publisher pay them. Right? Publishers sure. are kind of VC in a, in, yeah. a, in a way. They try to get like make bets on books and pay for everything, and then you get an advance, and maybe you get royalties later. Right. And self-publishing is essentially bootstrapping without any kind of funding. And then there's in between, funny enough, like there is a comp fund version of 
book publishing, right? Mm. It's a kind of this, okay, yeah, we take you on, we give you like some some access to this kind of network and we help you through. It, it costs you pretty little, apparently. I, I haven't really looked into this much, but hy- um, it's the, the whole idea is hybrid publishing. As you get the... It's not the exact same thing as what Comfund is. Like they don't yeah, pay yeah, you money; you kind of pay them as a service provider. But the idea is that they have the logistics and the distribution to get your book into I don't know what traditional publishers would do: get you into airports, get you into bookstores, right? Mm. What is always extremely hard for people like me because my books are print on demand, so I'm right. not going to get them into airports un- unless I do a kind of partnership with somebody who puts them in there. So all of this is currently happening as as I'm speaking about it. I'm still trying to figure out where I'm going. Honestly, I just want to write. I don't even want to deal with this kind of stuff because as it's kind of like a, a software developer, you don't want to do marketing. As a writer, you don't want to do this kind of operational stuff either, right? Somebody yeah. else supposedly should be better at doing this. But yeah, again, I find as a founder, I'm wearing 20 different hats. And mm-hmm. as a writer, I'm wearing an equal amount of slightly different hats. Mm. And that's been that's been my week, essentially trying to figure out where I want to go with this. Still undecided. If you have any opinions on this, as somebody who almost published a book, <laughs> well, we'll put a book out there as well, right? Yeah, you've, you've been writing a lot on, on the SaaS stuff as well. If you have any opinions on this, please, please share. Well, I was curious, actually, as you were talking about this, whether build in public might be the exact worst topic to pitch to a book publisher because it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of literally talking about the strategy to avoid having to work with a book publisher yeah, uh, in some ways right i mean I, I know that's not exactly the intent of it but i could imagine being on the side of a book publisher and basically reading this as like you want to write a book about how to not have to work with a publisher and you want me to publish it like yeah. you know this might that's not weird. be the one to be your test case for uh for working with a publisher i don't know what do you think about that yeah i mean building in public has this effect right like you're kind of right. You're on your own journey and you, you everything and you have to be honest too which in an industry right. that is about like ranking high on lists like the new york times bestseller list or whatever industry publication you can be in there's a lot of like glorification of of hero figures like writers that the whole stephen king on twitter situation like has been blown up in all the periodicals so yeah as a i, I i'm kind of am a, a wannabe sci-fi writer so i'm subscribed to locus magazine mm. which is kind of the, in, the industry publication for um all kinds of sci-fi who sells which book to watch publisher and kind of stuff is interesting to read but i don't write much in that regard i just you know get the information in and there's there's a lot of hero worship in 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 those magazines too because there are names that you know like brandon sanderson big fantasy writer and when he does something cool it gets a full page article right it's it's very focused on the celebrities which is not something i necessarily want and i guess i told that person that as well like who was trying to figure out if i should be working with a big publisher and i told him i don't want to deal with all this kind of hero stuff or this going on tv for like you know recommending your book on a morning tv show because it's supposed to help everybody in every every audience possible there is a disconnect because building in public is a niche thing like you want to be in your community sharing your story with the people who matter and you don't want to be on national tv in the morning in one of these morning shows talking to whoever might be looking at the tv at that time right that's Uh also a big difference there yeah. And um, I've seen people like Ryan Holiday on on national TV stuff. Is like I don't want to do this, or even James Why not? Clare, who 
right? Wow. But but first off, I, I don't want to get up early in the morning. That's one <laughs> for the biggest problem. But I honestly, like James Clear is an example. And I talked to the guy um, who, who writes these book proposals about this. If you go to like a, a PTA meeting with you have kids in school and you go like to the other uh, with the other parents, you go to a PTA meeting and you ask people who wants to build in public. Like nobody is going to, nobody even wants to be an entrepreneur or very few people in that community want to be an entrepreneur. But if you ask them who wants to lose weight and like half of them raise their hands and you say, well, I have the the perfect habit forming book for you. This is Atomic Habits by James Clear, right? Mm -hmm. This is the kind of stuff they need. They need the James Clear stuff, the highly generic things that are somewhat ish applicable to every single situation. And yeah, I know. I felt the I same. I don't know, Arvid. I think <laughs> that's, might be that's what they say, though. A little bit here. I think. Yeah. Uh, I think if you asked people, you know, who wants to find a way to build that project that you've been thinking about and haven't found a way to get started on, if you framed it slightly different, like. Uh, hey, I have a method that, you know, you create public accountability and then you, you know, are able to get started without anyone's permission. Like, I think mm -hmm. that would resonate with a lot of people. It might not be businesses necessarily, but it might be, you know, organizational groups they've been meaning to start or a pickleball league in the neighborhood they've been meaning to start, right? Like, I mean, I don't know, like you might be selling yourself short here. It could have a little bit wider Thanks. applicability than you're thinking. Well, thanks so much for for being uh, constructive in your feedback. <laughs> Honestly, I'm one of one of the books that I always really liked that has a strong build in public vibe has been "Show Your Work" by Austin Kleon. Sure, that, that tiny little book, like "Still Like an Artist, Show Your Work." They all are yeah. kind of about being a creator in in the public space. And he found a publisher, right, with a book yeah. that obviously resonates and still sells pretty well. So um, maybe I should just like do the whole. Um, what, what in, in the software world is like we're striped for cats or something. I should say like I'm show your work for for businesses or something. There right? you to, go. To go yeah. <laughs> well, you, I mean, you know what you should better. do. I think um, you know because it's funny. I I was in Austin a couple of weeks ago and literally talking about this exact topic with Paul Miller, um, mm -hmm. and he was talking about you know trying to decide whether or not to um, work with a publisher for his book and. Um, he was bringing up some some kind of cons to it that I hadn't thought about in the sense of uh, you know them having like control over derivative works and stuff like that. So mm. anyway, you should have him on your uh, on your main podcast, and you guys should just talk about it. That's a great idea. Yeah, Let me do this right after we wrap. I'm I'm just gonna yeah. I'm, honestly I'm just gonna send him this episode. So let's sure. see what he says. That's yeah, a yeah. great idea. Yeah, that yeah. that's wonderful. But I've I've been admiring his work and his approach to particularly like his his I don't need the big launch kind of thing. I'm just gonna sell this book like when it becomes popular. Kind of like yeah. that as well. So yeah, um, thanks. That's really helpful. I'm uh, you know what? There's a lot of imposter syndrome in this for me as well because all of a sudden you play in a different league and you don't really mm. know if you belong there. Right, with all these these uh, extremely successful other people, but then again, my just as well. Man, thanks yeah. so much. How has your week been? What have you been doing? Uh, my week has been uh, pretty bad. <laughs> um, mainly, I've just been really, really sick. Um, I I don't often get like really sick for more than a day or two, and I've been sick for two straight weeks uh, on top of like. Uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff, which we discussed last week. So it's been, it's been uh, a challenging week in terms of really just not being able to get 
a lot done and you can hear I'm still kind of like coming out of it. Um, got on like a bunch of antibiotics and stuff a couple of days ago. So I'm feeling much better now. And this is like starting to, to be productive again, but you know, it was just like really challenging couple of weeks. And, uh, like I just had to kind of continuously remind myself that when you find yourself in this position, especially as like a founder where, um, you know, you have a lot of leverage as a founder and when you are productive, that's like 10 or 20 times more effective in like a day than a day where you like pound a bunch of coffee and cold medicine and kind of force yourself to answer some emails. And so like you feel a bunch of guilt about it because you'll feel a bunch of things piling up that need your attention. And like right now I'm feeling that I've had a lot of stuff that was fairly urgent that needed my attention that I was just like, I think I just need to like log off for a couple of days and and try to to get better because it's just not worth it to to try and slog through a little bit of stuff if it if it drags out an illness. Um, so that's kind of like a hard one lesson. <laughs> I've done the opposite of that several times where, you know, you just end up like kind of ruining several weeks at a time. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to being back at 100% um, pretty soon. The other thing that's been going on is um, just the response from, you know, last week, I kind of rolled out the announcement about um, reducing the team size, having to lay a few people off at Comp Fund, and um, really narrowing our focus um, to, you know, the core job, you know, canceling a couple side projects, that kind of stuff. And honestly, the the response has been just like tremendous. I, I can't even respond to all of the emails and DMs uh, that have just been like 100%, you know, supportive and encouraging and understanding. Super awesome to to feel that I, I you know if if any of those folks are listening to this I really really appreciate it, it made a huge difference um, during a, a pretty tough uh, couple of weeks for me personally and it just reminded me that like you almost can't lose as an entrepreneur in a lot of ways you know like you just get so much credit from everyone just for trying that even when you try something and it sort of objectively doesn't work out right? You know, um, you might say it failed, right? <laughs> um, you just get so much credit from everyone for trying, you know, everybody is still so stoked that you gave it a good shot. And there's almost no real penalty from most people that you care about their opinion for not succeeding in a particular part of the venture. And everybody is just ready for you to kind of like, get back on the horse and try again, you know? Um, so that's been really, really nice, uh, especially the last couple of weeks to so just this, like, I mean, it's like hundreds of emails and DMs coming in um, after the public announcement that, uh, yeah, was just super supportive. So I'm really, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear it. I'm, I'm not surprised that our amazing community acts amazingly, you know, yeah. when, yeah. when you interact with them, but I'm super happy to, you know, like for, for you to, be in a physical state of despair because he's yeah. sick, right? Sick, it just sucks. You have this, you you see the world differently, but then still yeah. have this glowing light of support and motivation come in and, and understanding, probably most of all. So yeah. that's wonderful. It's it's one of those things. That's kind of why I want to do more about building in public as well. This is such a clear example totally. of your personal journey transcending the journey of the business. It yeah. doesn't it, it, you you being you and you learning and you growing and you sharing this. It, it could have been great what happened to Calm. It, it could have been, it, it was kind of bad what happened to Calm. But either way, 
there's something that, that strengthens the bond between the people that are around you and you for whatever comes, which is such a cool phenomenon, right? That's something that if you hadn't shared your journey, you would just be alone and sad and people would get mad at you. But now you've, you've built this goodwill and people actually also want you to succeed. And no matter what, what happens, they're, they're there for you. That's such a wonderful thing. I'm really happy to hear this. Yeah, I think you're totally right that like, you know, this is a, an exemplar, a, an example of the value of building in public, right? Where because the decisions that we made were sort of laid out along the way, people knew the the bets we were taking, the risks we were taking, the upside of the decision, why we made these decisions, you know, and that was kind of laid out and publicly documented and then kind of landing on, well, here are the outcomes of those and here are the decisions we need to make. I think, um, you know, you just get a lot more goodwill and um, just kind of trust from folks. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they just see the, you know, the the outside effects without the kind of behind the scenes explanations, I think people, you know, some portion of people will, will fill in the explanation for that yeah. series of events with kind of like right. the, you know, the worst case scenario, right, in a, in a lot of ways. And I really don't think you know, I haven't found anybody, you know, I was certainly worried a little bit that there might be some backlash. And we have a lot of investors and stuff like that that might say like, oh, you know, this sucks, you know, you're not doing as well as I thought you would or something like that. And there was just none of that, you know, absolutely none. Um, so it was actually fantastic. That's, it's kind of hard to get, get mad at somebody who's been honest with you the whole time. Right. right. <laughs> it's yeah. just, yeah. What a good, you get mad at yourself for maybe having inflated expectations. If there's nothing that you cl can cling on onto, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah. What, wonderful. You just kind of co-wrote a chapter for my book. So thank you so much because <laughs> I'm going to use this as an example. Because lots of people have been asking me around building in public, well, where are the negative examples? Where is where something went wrong? And how did that affect people? I think sure. this is as positive as can be for such a ne negative example, right? Stuff didn't work. You still got something out of it. That's that's exactly what I love about that story. Even though I, I wish it would have happened differently for so many reasons, but the way it happened and the way you communicated has been stellar. And I'm yeah. very happy to see that, yeah, people don't, they, they did not have an, an avenue of complaining, which is great. <laughs> you, covered, you covered your bases. That's what you yeah. did in many ways, right? In, in, a, in a positive and I guess empowering way for others to learn from. That's really cool. Well, I'm glad we live in a community where everybody understands each other. You know, mm -hmm. where everybody kind of knows where we are going with the thing that we're doing. Like, mm -hmm. they understand that there's risk in entrepreneurship and that they also understand that this risk is worth failing from time to time. Mm. I think that's, that's the big difference. Because if, yeah. you, if you had people who don't understand this, they probably would have responded differently to, to your announcement. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, maybe we should use this opportunity to dive into the, the topic of today, which Let's is do it. Very, much, yeah. very much related to this. I've been uh, at MicroConf. I was talking about fundamental health, right? The, the problems that we all commonly share, being overworked, doing a lot of things. And one one thing that I shared a pretty sad story from my life um, from was social isolation, feeling alone, feeling mm. misunderstood, feeling not not supported at all. And I've ever since then, people have been reaching out to me, both right there at the venue after I gave my talk and over the next couple of days, plus now in Twitter DMs, sharing stories about how hard it was for them to stay the course, like to calmly build an, a business, trying to stay calm when around the people around them were just energetically trying to distract them or pull them away from entrepreneurship because they just didn't get it. 
Like this, I this week I had um, an interview. I just released it earlier today with, with Dagobert Renouf, the co-founder of Logology. Right, he and his wife founded a logo creation software as a service business. Mm-hmm. And one of his puns or memes that he's been uh, talking about on Twitter has been that his father-in-law has been completely unsupportive and not understanding about why he and his wife would ever build a business together when they both could just have regular careers. Right, that she's a designer, he's a software engineer like they could work for corporate and they would be fine for life that's his perspective how has been his perspective for you know for a while until he saw that it's kind of working out but he shared this on on my podcast and i was like yeah this is something that probably every founder can relate to because i personally have a very similar story in in my my life early life even like not not necessarily with feedback panda the stuff that actually worked out but much earlier like in, in 2013 2012 when I kind of I was still in university, I was studying political science, but I always wanted to be an engineer. Always wanted to code. I was coding on the side, and I mm-hmm. I got this in, invite to to San Francisco for like there was a VC funded company that that found my GitHub and they wanted me to kind of see if I could work for them as a remote employee from Germany. But they wanted to meet me, so they flew me in or wanted to fly me in from San Francisco. Um, even just just that was something that my my grandma at the time, who had kind of the maternal role in my family she didn't understand and didn't support. Like she was like, no, you shouldn't do this. This is dangerous. This is kind of risky. Like this, this feels like something that, um, you know, that that's kind of, that must be a scam. They invite you over. That's not right. Like, like why would anybody pay for a ticket that, and you don't even know who they are? Like she, she just did, did not even understand this kind of founders taking a bet on a, on a potential employee. Sure. So it worked out. I flew there. I had a great time. We we came to an agreement. I worked for them for two years and then I got burnout and everything kind of exploded in my life. But that's a different story for a different opportunity. But sure. after that, I started building tiny software businesses with my friends and peers. And again, she was like, I don't know if this is the way you should be going. Like you, you could, you're good at your job. You could just find a job with like some software business, right? You could go to to Audi or another big German company and work in a software department, right? And I was like, no, but I want to do this. And I, then then I did this, and these things failed. And she was like, yeah, totally. You should go and get a job. And I, I just I kind of listened to her. I started getting into consulting with a bigger business and consulted for them as my big fish main client. But over time, I just wanted to build more businesses, mm-hmm. and it took. Until we actually had Feedback Panda, my girlfriend and I were like building Feedback Panda and showing her that this was now um, like a $20,000 a month business for her mm-hmm. to say, well, okay, I guess it's fine. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the situation. Like we built a SaaS business to 20K MRR and that was, okay, I guess this is all right. Took yeah. me only, what, five, six years to get her to this point? It's super frustrating. And I, I think everybody who, who's been going into solopreneurship or just entrepreneurship in general has a story like this. I wonder if you have a story like this too. Um, I think It doesn't so. have to be family, well, right? It could, know, I, could be uh, anybody. Yeah, I so I grew up in uh, a family where... Entrepreneurship was a little more normalized. My, um, you know, my stepdad was sort of my head of household for most of my life, and um, he ran a, a guitar shop. You know, so um, I think the the concept of being an entrepreneur was a little more normalized um, within the family. So there wasn't that kind of constant pressure to be like, "Why don't you get a job?" sort of thing. But I would say I, I. The, the the elements that kind of resonate with me in this are a little different, which are, first of all, just like not necessarily not having active pushback, but not really having a support network 
right? Like not having people within mm -hmm. my community. So when I like my college friends and my, you know, first friends from after college and stuff like that, like almost none of them were entrepreneurs. So I didn't really have people that would push me in the right direction or that I could sort of lean on in tough times necessarily. So it was sort of isolated versus having, you know, kind of things pushing back against me. Um, and then, you know, definitely like just in general, feeling like uh, in most social situations that I didn't really have anything to empathize with people, right? Like you're at, uh, you know, you're dating someone who has a normal job and you go out with them and their friends and everybody's complaining about, uh, you know, not having enough time off or, you know, like weird stuff that's like no longer a relevant feature of your life at all and you have nothing to say on these topics. Um, you know, this the, that sort of isolation, I think, is something that I felt a lot um, pretty early on as an entrepreneur. And so, um, yeah, I think we should talk about it. I don't know if I have a specific example that comes to mind. It was just like a very pervasive thing for, for quite a few years for me. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think it's, it's definitely specific enough, particularly the thing with like going, going out or going to any kind of social event and being just of a completely different frame of mind, what even warrants being discussed. Right? Right. That's, 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 that's what I feel like when I, I, I was at a family thing a couple of days ago and it was really nice. Like when family hangs out, it's always enjoyable, but even getting to, to a topic of discussion that I find interesting in terms of like, you know, I, I want to talk about AI or I want to talk about like entrepreneurship. I want to talk about like building something cool or cool projects, but, but people don't necessarily find these things as interesting as I do, which kind of. Sure precludes me from even getting to a point where I can contribute meaningfully to a conversation because the other topics, I'm not that much into sports. I'm not that much into, you know, vacations or whatnot. These, these topics that normal people normally talk about. I think right? these it's are more the hazards of being a nerd versus being an entrepreneur, which I identify. Wait, wait what's, yeah. isn't that the same? Like, it's, it's, isn't like one, like there's a big Venn diagram and I think like entrepreneurs yeah. like right dab in the middle of yeah, nerdy the, the nerd thing. Very challenging socially. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm great. I'm great among family, and we always have nice chats. And even this time, we did get to talk about ChatGPT because a couple people in the family work in marketing, and we we had this whole conversation about. Funny enough, we actually had a conversation that went that went into entrepreneurship because we kind of talked about um, them with their career path and and me like how I source my finances, right? Where I find my sponsors. Then we got into like how sponsorship evolved over time because people working in an ad agency, obviously, they're interested to see how it works on the ground for a creator like how mm. i source my sponsors how they can, could potentially connect with more people like me and it was it was an interesting uh, conversation just about like the different perspectives that you have from an agency perspective on how to place advertisement and sponsorships and what i care about as a creator and what i would never do what no is normal to them like there was a nice conversation in the overlap of our fields that was cool mm. but that rarely happens and it's just just a few people that work in in jobs that are even adjacent to what i'm doing because most people have normal jobs like plumber or nurse, right? That's what, what am I going to say? Like build in public your next plumbing project. It's going to be, a, that is going to be a far, far cry for me to even get to a conversational topic there. So sure. those situations always enjoyable, but never really a part where I feel I can contribute a lot. And that puts some distance in there. I feel right. Mm -hmm. Even though it's, you know, that's just what it is. Like we chose this occupation and with it comes an interest for certain things and a dismissal of others. It's just what it is. Um, but I feel it it does show, at least for me, where our priorities lie 
And what we completely ignore as entrepreneurs, like what you said, these conversations about, oh, my boss, or I wish there was more paid vacation. <laughs> but what is an entrepreneur going to say? I wish there was any vacation at all, ever, right? Like this, it feels like it's just a different different kind of perspective to take on conversations. But maybe that is the, the happy kind of result of, of us being somewhat isolated. But I feel there's a lot of mental health pressure on people to still yeah. perform and to still to still maintain these bonds, particularly when it comes to good friends or family or your your significant other. Like the, the amounts of times I've been listening to a Star Trek podcast. Let me just like throw it all out there because like if we're nerding out my just as well. It's it's called the the greatest generation and it has two male co-hosts that worked in the entertainment industry. They are they're coming from videography or directing and kind of stuff. And they now go through the old Star Trek The Next Generation episodes like one by one and just comment them in a funny way. I highly recommend listening to it. But what they always talk about is how their wives are just kind of embarrassed about them running a Star Trek podcast. And, you know, like whenever they're out in public and now some of the, they have a lot of listeners, listeners come up to them and want like an autograph or a photo. They're kind of embarrassed about about that and i was like this is so sad like it's so unfortunate that somebody's joy that also makes them money because they have a podcast with like now i guess hundreds of thousands of monthly listeners and yet still their partners in life feel a disconnected enough to not even care about it much or embarrassed that this person that they share their life with is doing this as a profession and I should say, like their partners are like I think one of them one of them is a lawyer and the other one also has a pretty high paid job. So there's this kind of discrepancy: high paid lawyer, Star Trek nerd on a podcast, right? This is this seems to be a problem for people. And I was like, why? This is so so mm. sad, right? Yeah, I'm not a couples counselor, but that 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 seems like a pretty bad <laughs> dynamic in in a relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you feel like you had to defend? entrepreneurship you know to to your family or uh or friends or anything like that did you ever find yourself sort of needing to you know i mean you can sort of just like either shrug it off but sometimes you might feel the need to engage and, and sort of make the case for it did you did you find that again mostly with my grandma because she was just she was in such a protective role that anything that had more risk than gainful employment like risk from a perspective of somebody who's been in gainful employment all through her life, right? Mm. That, that's the kind of uh, the default frame that she had on this. Anything this, that was more risky, and we can argue that entrepreneurship is risky in a different way, right? you know, sure. un unlimited upside, unlimited downside compared to limited yeah. upside and limited downside for an employment. And if you only have one employer, you have kind of platform risk, like platform yeah, dependency yeah, risk. I would, but, I, would think, you know. uh, I, I would question the, the limited downside side of things, but yes. I think yeah, it's exactly. Limited downside too, but yeah. That's right. There's there's a common narrative, right? And that's kind of what I was trying to describe with the, with the upside downside thing. The mm -hmm. That narrative is breaking apart in the reality that we live in. Because if yeah. you get fired today, try find a job and, and see how long your paycheck to paycheck life can be sustained if you don't get a paycheck, right? That's just, and, and it's not your fault necessarily as an employee that this is the reality in, in which we live in, but it's um, to think that this is safe is probably a misconception. So I had to argue these kind of things to her, which is like talk to like an 86-year-old woman about, <laughs> uh, you know, your perspective as a 20-year-old while she has been living in multiple different countries. Like we came from East Germany, doesn't exist anymore, then had to be in Germany and she had a career there. So she's been through stuff and her perspective is what I know is good and what I can teach this person and what I can help them accomplish is also good. So can't blame it, but I, I did have to defend it. 
And one other thing, one other probably more relatable thing for most, like I had to defend my entrepreneurial aspirations to my peers at the last job that I was working in. So mm-hmm. when I when I was building Feedback Panda, I kind of did it on the side while I was having a full salaried 40-hour-a-week software engineering position in Hamburg. Like this, this whole story that I often tell is like me commuting from Berlin to Hamburg allowed me to listen to all these podcasts and, and, and read all these books, including your ebook and that kind of stuff to figure out like how I wanted to build my next business. All this commute back and forth gave me so much time. So when I was in Hamburg working 40 hours a week and then took some time like after working, I still stayed in the office and coded on my own project. People just didn't really get it. They were like, why are you doing this? You already have a job. And it, and the hardest part about all this was when I then quit because our business already went somewhere and I wanted to focus on something else. They felt almost betrayed. Like it, it had this kind of notion of, hey, you were one of us and now you're kind of not anymore. What's, yeah. what's going on? This must be like a... A, a negative thing or this must be some kind of attack it, it was pretty strange because these were people that i really went, went well with until i told them that i didn't want to be an employee anymore for right. like i had mental health reasons there as well i felt like overwhelmed and i didn't want to do this and you know my, my grandma had just died around that time so there was that as well uh, there, there was just so much animosity that i was exposed to which was really unfortunate because I didn't expect it from people who were just like me. It turns out they were not necessarily like me. They were just compatible on one level, but very incompatible on another. So yes, I did have to defend it. And I honestly, I just defended it by doing it and not caring about what other people said at that moment. Yeah, I think I would encourage other folks, and I I wonder if this resonates with you, but I think... I think you just have to drop the the idea of defending it. I just think like, you know, it's one of those things where people are going to get it or not. And, you know, all the energy that you would put into trying to convince that person in your life um, that it's, you know, a good idea, you should just put into yourself and basically, you know, recognizing that like, you're just, you're probably not going to convince them and you just need to kind of reconcile that and, and, you know, just go for it. Right. Like, I just don't think there's a lot of upside. I think this is maybe potentially challenging when it's specifically a partner slash like spouse. That's probably like the one area where you really do need to get some buy-in. I think with your family, like, unless, I don't know, unless they're financing your lifestyle or something like that, you probably just have to accept the fact that they're not going to get it until you're successful and then they're going to get it. And like, that's that. Like that's how it's going to play out. That's how almost everyone that I know that's gone through that sort of situation, like they don't get it, they don't get it. And then as soon as you're like tangibly succeeding, they get it right away. They're like, oh, that's cool. Great. You know? And like, there's really no shortcut to that process. Um, I wonder actually if it's a bit more challenging with uh, with a partner. I've never really had to go through that process at the early days. Um, I guess did did you so so you know I only had a serious partner in my life after you know I was single when I started you know when I quit my job and started to become an entrepreneur and my business was fairly successful before mm-hmm. I had a serious life partner um, along that journey. So, um, what about you? Were, you know, did you have a partner at the early days of of this stuff, or were you, was that a thing so- you had to do? 
yeah like the, all the things where it where i failed i didn't have a partner at all and yeah. the thing where i succeeded i, I met daniel my co-founder and life partner is uh, in this very building that i'm recording mm -hmm. in right now um i met her in 2015 Okay. We started the business in 2017 together. So I was okay. still a fully salaried engineer at that time, even like working half remotely. So I was in, in Hamburg commuting back and forth for like half of my week. So it was a, a, a relationship that itself was already pretty tested from the early days on, right? You, you're, you're a partner that's some, sometimes there, sometimes you're you're gone, you have a long distance relationship several days a week. So we had a lot of stuff compressed into a very early time frame <laughs> there. And then we, we started the business together in 17. We sold it in 2019 and we moved to Canada two years later in 2021. So that, that's kind of the story of, of our life together. So yeah, yeah. I was just, uh, we built this together. So she was right. compatible in, in the sense that she actually also wanted to build it. Yeah. Right. Maybe this would be something fun to discuss on Twitter after we publish this to, to see, mm -hmm. you know, if folks could share some stories of having to really get buy-in maybe from a, you know, default skeptical uh, yeah. partner or spouse and and kind of hear about that. Because I think that would be really interesting to hear how folks navigated that. That's yeah. kind of like the one version where you can't just be like, well, you'll see, you know, and then just go yeah. three years without uh, getting support yeah. or buy-in from it. Um, I wonder if, uh, if this resonates with you as well. It's kind of like a variation of this, which is feeling um, behind your peers on more of a traditional path, right? So, you know, you're an entrepreneur, maybe you haven't quite gotten the, the financial success yet. And, you know, you're like a small version might be, you know, you see some article in, um, you know, uh, MSN money or whatever, that's like, here's how much you should have saved by the time you're X years mm -hmm. old. You're like, whoa, <laughs> I don't have anywhere near that much saved because I've been, you know, building equity in this business that's not successful yet. And maybe then more like tangible milestones, right? Maybe people are, you know, buying houses or maybe they're having kids and all this kind of stuff that you feel like you can't necessarily financially do because you're still in the trenches of entrepreneurship. Did you did you feel any of that at all? Yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it. I, I had friends certainly that had kids and had jobs and that kind of stuff. But I always knew that um I I don't need to compare myself to people whose lives I don't necessarily want to live. And this is no a hidden dig at my friends, obviously, because they're my friends. But yeah, the choices that they made were theirs to make and not necessarily mine. So I don't think I compared my my lifestyle with with them much, but I always felt that the security that some people had financially by just having been around and having already understood that's that's an important part too. I'm gonna get to this in a second. How to invest, what to invest, like have their employees pay half of whatever contribution they may have and build equity in in the market or in money markets or whatever over over their um their work lifetime that was something that i was even just kind of exposed to mm. uh, late in life right I, I didn't even have a frame of reference to be kind of jealous or comparing myself to because yeah. i didn't even know that that was an option again <laughs> my grandma and she's great but she had very strong opinions about what investment looks like or what savings look like like for her that was like put money in a savings account every now and then and that's it get like the rates mm -hmm. that whatever the bank pays you because again east germany different story her whole life was structured in a certain way and she kind of taught that i had to do a lot of unlearning as you can probably tell sure. from just the stuff that i've been kind of educated with as i grew up up in that space and she 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 was burnt i think by the the local credit union style bank um investing their money into really really bad um mutual funds that 
never made any money. So they kind of lost a lot of money on this. So mm. any investment into anything in the market was a no-go for her. That was how I was financially educated. Whoa. Can you imagine? Yeah, <laughs> right? So it, I think I was 33 or 34 when I first, in that business in Hamburg, was exposed to a fellow developer who uh, talked about investing in the stock market and ETFs and that kind of stuff. And how wow. this is actually a much saner approach than buying into heavily... Uh, in, into mutual funds or that kind of stuff that your bank tries to push on you, right? That where, any sane person looking at this from the outside was like, why are they trying to sell me this? Like, obviously there's more in, in that for them than for me. So that education came at a super late part in my life. Sure. And ever since then, I've been working on getting to that. But it's not because of uh, comparison with my peers. It's because of not being educated in that space at all. Honestly, yeah. I think the first book that I ever read that explained this to me more clearly was Tony Robbins, like Money Master the Game. Like it's, yeah. it's not necessarily the, the best book about finances. Like, yeah, but it, somehow, you know, yeah. It, it showed, showed me a path beyond like just putting some money in some bank account and getting like minus 3% a year because the economy tanked. So it's... Right. Um, but but for me, I, I did feel behind in just the sense of security that I had in my life, which was one of the reasons why we actually sold the, the business when we sold it. Because uh -huh. we had understood that the equity we had in this business, at that point making 600K in, in ARR, so it was substantial already. It was technically by all um, just guesses of how much something could be worth a million dollar business, which it then turned out to be in the end when we sold it. Um but we we both had nothing else. Like we had no savings really, other than the weird stuff at the bank, which was like a couple thousand bucks. Uh, we, we had a, a paycheck to paycheck kind of life because we were living in Berlin, the middle of a big city, which is expensive. And I yeah. had a lot of expenses like traveling back and forth, even though the company helped me with this, it was never free, right? And we we understood that, wow, this is the only thing that's valuable and it's, gigantically valuable in comparison to what else we have. If we lose this business because of, you know, the business implodes because of the market or some regulation, which funny enough, it did like a couple months ago, right? China introduced some weird regulation that makes it impossible for a person to teach English online anymore. Um, without living in, in China itself. So Feedback Panda, the business that we build, is, doesn't exist anymore for that reason. Like uh, Shurisper had to just shut it down because there was nobody paying money anymore because they couldn't do the work that we helped them with. It's unfortunate right. that it happened. And I'm kind of glad it didn't happen to us. It happened to a company that could handle such a financial loss, right? right. Like if, if that was would have been us, everything we built over years would have been lost at that point. Yeah. Which is why I was super stressed about it, had like the kind of, oh, the bus factor is incredibly high and it's so undiversified, we need to diversify our investments. Again, something I had never known about before, but now I knew and now I understood because I had people who work smart about investments tell me about this as well. So mm -hmm. that's the thing that I felt I would need to catch up, just securing my own life by diversifying my investments. Hence, we sold the business and got invested into fine funds, such as the Calm Company Fund, for example, <laughs> right? Like it, yeah. it all kind of plays into this for me. Like investing uh -huh. in your fund was one of the things I did to diversify. So, yeah, yeah you know, so yes, I, I did feel behind and I needed to catch up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think I felt some of that too. Um, I think some things that resonated for me over the years that kind of helped me maintain a little more kind of calm about that because it is easy to sort of feel behind. Um, so 
the first one that resonated for me was leaning into some of the stuff that you can do um, mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur that you couldn't do with a job, right? So like, I think it's it can be really tough to be just like in exactly the same sort of position as your peers, let's say your peers from college or something like that, like you're living in the same cities, in the same neighborhoods, trying to buy the same houses, trying to do the same activities, you know, all this kind of stuff, except you're the like struggling entrepreneur and they're the like successful corporate yeah. person. That sounds like setting yourself up for like a really difficult time mentally. Um, so I think like one thing that comes to mind is this overlap between a lot of entrepreneurs becoming digital nomads. And I'm not saying like every entrepreneur should become digital nomads, but you know, you have this like kind of, uh, uh, sort of judo way of turning around some of the negatives into a positive, like, yes, you have to work a lot. And yes, you maybe don't have as much disposable income, you know, month over month, if you kind of graph it. Um, but you do have a lot more flexibility in terms of where you are, right. And so you can sort of lean into, well, I can go live in Bali for six months. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, and yeah. so there's like a, um, there's an upside to being an entrepreneur as well. And so I think kind of looking for or, you know, those opportunities to, um, you know, to take advantage of some of the things that are unlocked by being an entrepreneur, mainly the ability to travel, the ability to work remotely, the ability to, frankly, you can take more time off, right? You know, if you if you're able to do that, right, if you get the business to some level where that's possible, and sometimes that's a lot sooner than you think, you know, the capacity to take six straight weeks off, which is basically impossible for, you know, anybody in a corporate job. Um, so I think I, I definitely leaned into that heavily. And that helped me a lot with the, the early days of challenging. It was like, okay, I'm pretty much broke. I have like no money, you know, like very minimal amount coming in very way behind on where I should be on savings. But I get to travel the world. I went to like 40 countries. I lived out of a backpack. I did all this cool stuff, you know. So it was like, even if I kind of finish this and none of these businesses work, I actually still won't regret this period of time. Like I'll have less money than my peers, but I will have so many incredible experiences that like it'll feel like a pretty good investment, I think, um, overall. So that was like one that was pretty useful. Um I'm gonna say. I think um, another thing that's kind of nice, and I'm I'm curious if this kind of resonates for you as well. But I have found that um, entrepreneurship really helps me avoid the hedonic treadmill and the life inflation aspect, right? So, like you know, your income and your savings are these numerical numbers, but they are also relative to how much you spend. Right. And mm -hmm. so um, the the sort of lumpiness of the of the cash flows of entrepreneurship, the fact that they're not that reliable, but when they do come, they come in like generally like very large chunks um, has kind of helped me avoid the the constant, you know, okay, you get this raise and then you raise your spending by exactly the same amount. And so you get this point where you're really on this treadmill that's turned up to 11 and you have to continue making this very high salary just to sort of stay in place um, because your cost basis is so high. I think one nice thing that entrepreneurship does is it, it forces you to keep that, that level low. And 
there's a benefit to that, which is that you have so much more flexibility in your life, um, you know, whether or not it's other entrepreneurial ventures or, or other things like that. I think a source of a lot of unhappiness in kind of middle age for a lot of folks is this hedonic treadmill where, yeah, they've had like nice steady success and now their, their base level of existence is they need to make, you know, $500,000, $600,000 a year just to, just to kind of like stay in place. And that means they can absolutely never take a year off and go and try to write a book or try to do some experiment or start a company or whatever. And so, you know, I want to encourage folks to appreciate that upside that even though it feels kind of limiting in the moment that you wish you had a little more disposable income, that dynamic is actually going to be a source of, I think, pretty substantial happiness um, at like a decade long time scale. Um, and so, you know, just kind of focusing on that, I think is, is valuable. I, I really appreciate that because I feel the same way. I honestly, like most people, when I talk to them about the sale, the exit of the business, they ask me, so what did you buy? Right? There's always this this big yeah. focus on money. And I was like, I got a MacBook Pro, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I got a new computer so I could write better or I could write in one room and watch videos in the other. That was like my leveling up at that point. And it has it felt like this ever since because I think you, you're onto something here with the, the lack of reliable numbers that you see growing every month. I, I just did my taxes so it was tax season here in canada like until um i think the 30th of april is that last tax day and obviously that meant i did my taxes on the 30th of april yeah. and um i i had to I, I pulled all the data from the business together and something i didn't notice in 2022 this was a six-figure business. I did not know this. I, I was not aware of the fact that all my media business is now actually a six-figure business. And I saw this on the tax, tax sheet because with that number comes an equally high tax payment that you have to pay. And expenses were manageable, all that kind of stuff. It was very interesting to see. But the, the lump thing, that the fact that it's distributed over so many ways, and I, I think every month I have like 30 different items on my just where money comes in because Amazon has like 12 different locations where the, the payments for the books come in and then yeah. every other store pays me through some weird method somewhere else and then some goes to PayPal and Gumroad is here and Podia was there and there's Udemy and there's Skillshare all these different things just pay random things at random times so you don't really see this big monthly up and down you just really see this it trickle in and some random capacity so you develop this I can only spend this much this month because you know haven't seen much money for a couple months let's just see let's just be be smart about it so it surprised me to see how money how much money actually came in but also how much i kept because you know I, if i don't see it come in i don't see it i don't spend it which is great yeah. and i think this is a consequence of having had this behavior where no money was coming in in the past yeah. i don't it just sounds like the worst humbleberg in history but the idea is i i think i've always had this uh, let's let's just be frugal about this i mean now i i'm buying a lot of studio equipment i think my biggest expenses are microphones monitors and and cameras at this point to be able to do what i do right i, I don't spend money on cars i don't even own a car like we have one family car and it's not mine i, I like walking to the store and that's that's my life right i'm it's just there is no no kind of um keeping up with the joneses kind of creep Sure. in my life because i don't like that and i never was a person to do this frankly because i never had enough money to start that's <laughs> kind of how i feel i never had enough income to even start keeping up with other people and now that i have i don't need that i invested in my business again which is 
and, and our lives here too, like in, in this fine uh, province of Inter Ontario. We just building our little life here and having a nice house and having a having time with family and friends. That's what we spend our money on, not um, necessarily fancy things. So yeah, sorry, that's just derailed into a description of my financial uh, life. But honestly, I I think this this is something that is a consequence of me never really following the salaried employee narrative. And I think you you brought this up just now with, um, you know, when, when should you do what, right? Like the, the narrative that we all are part of uh, an economy and everybody should contribute and be compensated for it for 45 years and then you retire, right? That, that kind of narrative. Or you have to find a job, you have to then immediately buy a house and be in a place and you can never be a nomad, right? Because you have to start a family and have to pay like for a car, get a loan here, get a loan for that. The, the standard narrative that most people follow. And I think you, you by mentioning just digital nomadism, but that, that's just completely breaks the paradigm and that is a, a wonderful idea for an entrepreneur is to start breaking narrative paradigms right about what a business should look like should you get vc funding yeah sure every business needs funding right no that is not necessarily true or should you build it in secret and then sell it to whoever wants it well maybe that's also not a narrative that's true maybe you can do this in a more public sphere I think what, what this boils down to me for is breaking the paradigms of narrative that are established in the society around us. And unfortunately, often enough, this narrative is parroted by our parents, by our spouses, by our friends, and by our colleagues, right? Kind of to, to bring this all together. Like the fact that we have such trouble with them understanding what we're doing is that they are living the narrative of somebody else. And they are repeating the narrative that somebody else has instilled in them. Our schools, our social systems, our econ economic uh, theory that whatever country is following at any given time. All of this kind of trickles down into narratives that we hopefully can break. So I don't know why I'm here now at this point. <laughs> where, yeah. where, my, my, my train of thought took me here, but I, I just alighted and I exited. Let's at this bring stage. it home. Um, I think, I think you, you made a great point there, which is, and I wanted to sort of talk a little bit about, okay, what, what do we think, you know, maybe other folks who are feeling a lot of these feelings that we've been describing could, could do. And yes. I do think you just touched on the number one thing, which is not, it's like, kind of straightforward and simple and a lot of folks have unpacked in a bunch of different ways but you know, just kind of like assessing the you know the the script or the playbook or the narrative that you sort of have this perception that you're supposed to be on and really just questioning that right i mean a lot of entrepreneurship is questioning other narratives about you know, the world, right? You know, okay, this market is saturated. Nobody else could enter it. Is that really true? You know, like a lot of the opportunities come from that. And sometimes we forget to apply that same kind of critical lens to our own lives, right? To the, the narratives that we tell ourselves that other people try to impose on us to say like, well, you should be doing X, Y, and Z. And, and you can sort of take that same entrepreneur's kind of skeptical, um, critical thinking analysis to it and say like, what, is that true? And what you often find is like, no, you don't have to do that at all. Like you can actually do whatever you want in your life. And what's been really helpful for me personally has been to connect with, um, not, not just, so we're going to, I was going to suggest, you know, connecting with other entrepreneurs. I think that's kind of the no brainer, which is try to find your community and we can talk a little about that, but, but also just connecting with other people who are living lives that are just very different 
um, I got this primarily just from traveling a ton, um, but there's certainly other ways you could probably do this, but but getting a firsthand experience of other people who are living dramatically sort of off script lifestyles, and this could be maybe through podcasts or whatever, but, but just sort of hearing other people describe a non-traditional approach to their lives, I think helps you like widen the aperture of what's allowed, what's possible, you know? And, and I think really reinforcing that to say like, yeah, a bunch of people think I'm off script here, but like, that's okay. And a lot of people live their lives that way and it's fine. You know, <laughs> you don't have to do any of those narratives. Um, so I think that's like kind of step one is just like this base level understanding that, you know, you can just kind of do whatever you want. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's that's also what Paul is writing about in the sure. pathless path, right? Yeah. Like so let's bring that book into the the mix here as well. Like you, the the path that you choose can just also be one of wandering around intentionally, right? It doesn't need to be somebody else's script you follow. It could be just you be writing your own script retroactively by just walking the path you want to walk and just taking opportunities as they present themselves and then the connect the dots retrospectively, which is, or retroactively, I guess. That's that's how it works anyway, right? Like most people de describing their journey, and then you see this a lot in memoirs and stuff, like they find a lot of stuff that kind of connected, but it was not connected in the moment. It was never connected. Like the next thing, the next opportunity just just happened and they they had this gut feeling that it was a good one to follow and then they they took it on and it turned into something that connected super well with everything else but that wasn't obvious at that moment it became obvious later when the things all kind of fell into place right there's this this nice um in soci sociology i think this nice graph of the the tr decision tree that you make in your life and the decision tree that you made up till this point is just one path among many decisions that led you to where you are. And from now, there is an infinite amount of possible decisions that you can still make. But every every year that you step forward into this decision tree, the path that you went and made decisions gets longer. But the, the path in front of you is still infinite. Right? That's that's kind of what, what always motivates me to just look into opportunities as something that probably connects to whatever I did in the past, just take the opportunity and see where it goes. And that is the journey of my life. That's my pathless path, kind of. That's how I feel it. And I, I love that you talk about finding your peers and building community. That's the easiest way to find it, I feel. Like, because you see, not only do you see other people walk their own path, which is inspirational, but you also see the decision-making that goes into it, how they weigh risk, how they de defend their decisions against against others, just like what we've been doing here, right? We're describing how we defend our choice of entrepreneurship to our families, to our spouses, to our peers. That is something that just the fact that we did it might inspire somebody else to also do it and find their own path. And for that, you need to be in the community where you get exposed to uh, conversations like ours, right? If you're just in a, a community where people go the traditional ways and talk about how to build a career and how to write a CV, well, you won't necessarily find inspiration to defend your own choices, right? So that, that is a big deal for me as well. Um, yeah, that's that's. I, I think community is the biggest thing, and com community of different ways. I love the idea that you talk about both finding your own bubble and bursting your bubble at the same time, right? You find your community of a founder bubble. That's great that everybody is encouraging and stuff. But you also want to see people who live a completely wild life that is magically different from yours, right? That's yeah. that's also something cool. So it's like build a bubble and burst it. What what a great way to live your life. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a great yeah. place to leave it. I think so too. Well, I do yeah. want to give a shout out today because I, yeah. I feel we've been talking about Paul a lot 
And we've been talking about Dagobert a lot, like the two people mm-hmm. that have been inspirational in, in for me in just thinking about this. So a big shout out to Paul Miller with his amazing book, The Pathless Path. And a big shout out to Dagobert Renouf, who is on a podcast just like this one, where he and James McKinvin talk about their bootstrapper founder journey. And I, I kind of want to give that a shout out. Like It's called This Indie Life, and it's a wonderful podcast. Now, I think at episode 20, and um, we're just behind, I think, by 10 episodes. Probably when they will never catch up if, if they keep going and we keep going. We're always going to be like 10 dif- uh, episodes apart. But that is a great show that I listen to on a weekly basis whenever it comes out because it's just nice to follow the journey of people that motivate me. And uh, that's yeah, that's a shout out that I wanted to give today. Do you have anything you want to shout out? Yep, all good for me. Wonderful. Well, then let's let's kind of yeah draw this to a conclusion. I I have in uh, my dog is just barking in the background. You're gonna get the the life experience here today. I've been um, setting up a way for people who listen to the show to give it a rating and a review. Uh, if you would like to do this, please go to ratethispodcast.com slash catch up. That's that's C-A-T-C-H-U-P, one one word. And you can find links that automatically go to the Apple podcast place and Spotify and stuff where you can give this show a much-deserved five-star rating. Please do that. And, and give it a review if you like the show and if you like us. That would be really helpful. Put us in front of more people who might actually need to hear what we've been talking about today. And if you're a founder who's been through these things, you know that there are a lot of peers who also need to hear this. So please share this with them. You can also go to catchup.fm, find all the episodes, all the seven or so episodes we've been doing up until this point and and link people from there. It would be really appreciated. And yeah, I'm going to talk to you again next week. And that's it for this week. See you next week.